You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning, everybody. You should have received a postcard when you came in this morning. You grab a hold of that. I want you to lose it when you pitch out your program later on. We mailed hundreds of these within a five-mile radius of the square just last week. We have some extra ones, so I thought, well, you guys could use them as invite cards for Christmas Eve service on the square. We're going to meet at 5.30 there. Please bring your own chair. The service will only last about a half an hour, most 35 minutes. Uh, Brad will be there uh, to lead the singing. We'll end with a candlelight service on the square, so it ought to be pretty, pretty cool uh, to experience that. So hand this to somebody. If you're a Giant Eagle, Walmart, we've got more of these if you want them, and uh, invite them to come Christmas Eve. Who's going to be there? All right, we're going to have cookies, hot chocolate, too, so we'll just hang out there and enjoy the night. Well, we're continuing our series this morning, Hometown Christmas, where we've been looking back at some of the significant locations associated with the very first Christmas. This morning, we want to take a brief visit to the town of Nazareth. Nazareth is very different than it used to be. There's a picture behind me as you can see it. Nowadays, I don't know what you envision the town to be, but there are over 70,000 people living there now. So lots of hustle and bustle. There are streets with markets, places, and stores, quite different than it was 2,000 years ago when Mary and Joseph grew up there. There were probably at that time around 30 homes or dwelling places, just about 100 people living there during the time of Mary and Joseph. We'll show you another picture, and it's kind of hard to see, but it's a first century Nazareth house from the time of Christ actually discovered in 2009. The authorities describe this as the very first residential building from the old Jewish village. Small, modest house, having two rooms. You can see the two rooms and a cistern where they would collect the water from the rain and a courtyard uh, out in the front. But that was your typical house back then, Nazareth. Nazareth lived in the shadow of every other city. It was smaller than the other cities didn't get much of the attention that the other towns did. How many of you grew up with an older sibling, brother or sister? Well, maybe you can relate to what a Nazarene felt like. If your older brother or sister got more attention, kind of received at Christmas the best gifts, especially if you were a middle or a younger child, you always felt a little less than maybe than they did. That's how Nazareth was. They felt less than, less impressive, less popular than all the other towns around them. In fact, in John's gospel, in the first chapter, Nathaniel says this, and it really wasn't a great compliment. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good really come out of that town? And it was the truth. It was a nowhere town made up of nowhere people, always feeling less than. And then God decides to take a young girl who feels less than, a teenage girl, in an unknown town, 
And he says, it's time. It's time to deliver my promise. It's time for the Messiah. And an angel announces to Mary that she would be the chosen one of God. Overwhelmed, overshadowed, Mary, Mary quietly speaks the words that had to echo through that valley when she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'll let you decide the answer to that. We know that Mary and Joseph did. Mary and Joseph had one unique, amazing, defining characteristic, and that is they were obedient. They were obedient to God. Listen as Sarah reads the account from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of the father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come down upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to take out of the Christmas story this morning three lessons of obedience that we can learn from Mary and Joseph. The first one's this. Believe the promise of the impossible. Believe the promise of the impossible. The virgin birth is something that many refuse to accept. It seems impossible unless it's engineered by the one who made something out of nothing, unless it's engineered by the one who spoke the world into existence. I mean, if God wants a virgin to conceive, then she will. And as the verses concluded that Sarah just read, God specializes in doing that which is impossible. And sometimes his biggest miracles come in the transformation of people. Odds are that you came across somebody this morning, even within this building, who vowed that they would never be in church, let alone this church. Odds are maybe that someone that passed the basket to you this morning is someone who eventually might lead a small group. We have people who lead small groups within Northside who vowed they could never get in front of people. Or maybe you were invited this morning and you're a guest here, and the person who invited you is one who thought they could never have the nerve to invite anybody 
to something, let alone church. By the way, how are you doing with your ping pong balls? All right? Those of you that may not know, out in the lobby is a fish tank. It says, go and tell. From now until Easter, we're encouraging everyone to invite someone to church, talk to them about Jesus, pray with them, uh, share their faith with them, then they can write their name on a ping pong ball and put it in that fish tank, and we're watching it continue to grow. Receive this text from Amy Dudley, one of our members this past Monday. She shared a text from me that her friend Dana sent her on Monday. This is what the text, uh, you can keep that up there. I think I got the text too. Is the text up there? Go, Ray. Click. There it is. The text said, a gentleman from Northside dropped this off to me for me today for stopping by church yesterday. So sweet. P.S. You can you can you get to add your ping pong ball to the fishbowl. Isn't that awesome? And the picture before was the bag that we drop off uh, with cookies every time to our first-time guests. Nothing is impossible with God, and he can use you in the same way that he used Amy. Larry King was once asked this question. If you could select one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? Larry King said, I would love to interview Jesus Christ. The next question was, and what would you like to ask him? King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would divine, define history for me. The answer to that question, was he virgin born, would define history for me. Christianity stands and falls on the truth of the incarnation, of God becoming flesh. Well, God sent the angel to Mary, and he gives her a script. And you imagine the script was quite different than what Mary was thinking. This was a time when Mary was supposed to be planning a wedding, not a baby shower. But they follow in obedience, and the second lesson is recognize the price tag of obedience. Obedience always has a price tag. How many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? How many of you haven't started? That's us, all right? Haven't started. But as you shop, how many of you have kind of been shocked at price tags? All right? You look at it and think, man, you're kidding me? We look at toys for the grandkids and it's all plastic. It's only going to last a month. You think, does it cost that much? But anything of great value has a big price tag, has a big price tag, and obedience falls in line with that. And Mary and Joseph would learn that along the way. Cost, well, to be obedient service, first it costs them their reputation. Obviously, they both had a great reputation, great character, or God wouldn't have chose them. Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace and had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
In those days, women were seen as child producers, as property of others, and not so much meaning of anything a woman could be. And so Joseph, by choosing the route to divorce her quietly, was doing an amazing thing in obedience, trying to protect her out of love. And love will cause you to do some things like that. But it was only a band-aid on the situation, so God intervened, has an angel tell Joseph the entire story, and he follows through in obedience. He takes Mary as his wife, knowing full well the price tag of obedience for both of them, that other people around them for years to come would never believe that God created Jesus. But they would continue to believe that Mary and Joseph had slept together prior to marriage. But they continued to be obedient, yet in the midst of scandals in which they didn't deserve. That's a lot of times what happens when you and I even choose to obey God. There's a high pro probability when we choose out of obedience to do something that is contrary to what the world might think, that we might face scandal, spiritual warfare. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, though. No matter what the scandal, no matter what the warfare we go through, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Another price tag for obedience they faced was stress. And we all feel stress at different times, especially even during the month of December. Watch this little video clip on stress. Watch this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, Happened to simply Christmas. How many of your schedules look like that? It's crazy, is it not? It's crazy. And the stress that that produces, even in the For month to of us December. A child and... is born. For to us, a child. <laughs> Whew. But we look at our calendars in the month of December. And we do our best, but what it turns out to be is the 25th, we finally go, ah. But it creates more and more stress. As in Mary and Joseph's world, you can imagine the stress. Remember the stress test, the, the monitor? Thomas Holmes came out with it, a psychologist, and he added like numbers if you 
get a new job, you've had 25 points or 35 points. If you get married, that's 50 points towards your stress level. Moving to a new city would be 25 points on your stress level, so on and so on. And he said, when you got to the point of 200 points, then you were in grave danger of a nervous breakdown. Well, they took that home's point value and they calculated what Mary was going through and they came up with a number for her of nearly 400 on the stress meter. We think we've got it bad. Imagine what was going on in their lives. And the stress didn't stop after the birth of Jesus. They were a family that was on the run even for the next few months. They traveled to Egypt in order to spare the baby's life as Herod was trying to kill all the baby boys. And then travel forward in time 33 years later when that baby that was born had to die. And Mary began to understand Simeon the prophet's words when he said, a sword will pierce your spirit too, Mary. And when she saw her son crucified, in that moment, she finally understood what Simeon meant. Obedience price tag for them, reputation, stress, and then third, you must give up your own agenda, just as they did. Mary and Joseph had their own agenda, but raising the Son of God changed everything. Truly, this baby did change everything. God's plan required that his son pour his deity into a container called humanity. God became visible, touchable, and nailable. Let me read that again. God's plan required that his son pour his deity into a container called humanity. God became visible, touchable, and nailable. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and validated the story of Mary and tells him that a baby is to be born that is to be the savior of the world. Talk about giving up your own agenda. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means and Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Notice Joseph was obedient, even to the fact that he pushed up the date of the wedding. He takes Mary home as his wife. You catch the order, don't miss the order. Today's world needs this order. He married her. Then he moved in with her. These days, we kind of have that out of whack, don't we? He married her, then he moved in with her, following God's order, following God's plan. And he took it a step further and waited until the, after the birth of the baby before they ever consummated their marriage. Obedience to, to Christ can carry a price tag. You choose purity in this world, you may be ridiculed because you're different. You may be embarrassed as a family if you bow your head in the restaurant this afternoon for lunch when all eyes are at you. 
but you know you need to to give thanks. You may be ridiculed and not understood by turning down a promotion at work because you realize if you take that promotion, it'll take time away from your kids, from your family. Well, those things, things we go through in life and obedience may not cause rejection. They may not cause scandal in our lives. They will cause our lives to be stirred a bit. So believe the promise, recognize the price tag of obedience, and then third lesson, allow the Lord to use you, just as Joseph did. Allow the Lord to use you. Max Lucado writes a story, analogy of going out on a limb, describing what Joseph went through in, that, in the Christmas story. I want to read it to you. I really love this. Max Lucado writes, Joseph was perched firmly on his branch in the tree. It was thick, reliable, and perfect for sitting. It was so strong that he didn't tremble when the storms came, nor did he shake when the winds blew. No, this branch was predictable and solid, and Joseph had no intention of ever leaving it. That is until he was told to go out on a limb. As he sat securely on his branch, he looked up at the limb that God wanted him to climb. He'd never seen one so thin. That's no place for a man to go. That's no place to sit. There's no protection from the weather. And how could you sleep dangling from a quivering twig? He inched back a bit, leaned back against the trunk, and pondered the situation. Common sense told him not to go out on a limb. Self-defense told him not to do it. Pride told him not to do it. But God told him to do it. And that made it the only option. So resolute, he grasped the smaller limb with tight lips and a determined glint in his eye. He placed one hand in front of the other until he dangled in the air with only his faith in God as a safety net. At times that limb must have bounced fiercely in the wind. But Joseph just shut his eyes and hung on. But you can be sure of one thing. He never regretted it. Sweet was the reward for his faith. Faith. One look into that heavenly toddler's eyes, and he knew that he would do it again in a heartbeat. And then he closes by writing this. You can bet it won't be easy. Limb climbing never has been easy. Just ask Joseph, or better yet, ask Jesus. He knows better than anyone the cost of hanging on a tree. Just ask Jesus. He knows better than anyone the cost of hanging on a tree. And then there's Mary. Martin Luther said, there are three Christmas miracles, that God became man, that a virgin was conceived, and that Mary believed. Can you imagine, ladies, if that was you? Three Christmas miracles, that God became man, a virgin conceived, and that Mary believed it was all possible. What faith? What trust? Luke 1, 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you said. The message paraphrases that and says, I am the Lord's maid ready to serve. 
I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. C.S. Lewis wrote, the whole cosmic salvation plan for the universe comes down to the response of an unwed Jewish teenage girl. It was all on her, but she accepted the purpose of God, was willing to let go of her own agenda and be used by God. What about you? What area of your life right now is the Holy Spirit tugging and say, you know what, you need to be doing this, or I need you here, or I want you to do this. And you're kind of just saying, uh, I got my own agenda. I got my own purpose, God. Big or small, where does God want to use you? You see, God specializes in taking the ordinary and turning it into extraordinary. Nazareth is a reminder that God is willing to work in the middle of nowhere in the lives of nobodies to do amazing things, and he can do it with you. You say, oh, come on, Jeff. I really am a nobody, and not only that, you know, I have all these imperfections. God can't take me and use me. Listen, I love this letter to Santa from a seven-year-old boy. He writes, Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There is Jeffrey, who's two. There's David, who's four. And there's Norman, who's seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman, Norman is good all the time. I am Norman. You love that? We're not, none of us are Normans. All of us have our imperfections. All of us have our weaknesses. Romans 3 tells us there's no one righteous, not even one. No one righteous, not even one. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. Do it again, I don't think they heard you. We all need help. We all need salvation from our sins from our faults, our failures, our mistakes. That's why the Savior, Jesus Christ, was plunged into this world. So please don't say, God can't use me. I'm not good enough. I'm a nobody. Look at the town of Nazareth. God specializes in taking nobodies from nowhere towns, nowhere places, and he does the impossible. Although you may not be from Nazareth, there may be moments when you feel a little bit less than. The Christmas message is one of promise and one of hope. And there's a message for you where God wants you to hear him say, you are not less than. And he calls you to obedience, to step out on faith, Trust his plan for you, no matter how small, no matter how large it might seem. And so the next time Satan has you feeling like you're less than, like you're a nobody, like Mary did and like Joseph did and everyone in Nazareth did, the next time you feel a little less than, remember there is one who wants to make you more than, greater than. He wants to do in you what you could never immeasurably ask or imagine. 
He wants to unfold his will in your life. And most of all, he wants to take up residency in your life if he hasn't already. He wants to reshape your life. He wants to bring you joy, hope, and fulfillment that this world can't offer. In order to have all that, that means you and I have to swallow our pride. Have to swallow our pride and look heavenward and say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Stand with me, please. I just want you to do something with me. I want you to look upward. And hopefully you can remember these words as I say them. Look upward and say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Right now. I am. Let's do it again with a little more conviction. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Again. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. God, whatever your call is for each of us in this room, God, for those of us who have acknowledged you as the Lord and Savior of our lives, God, whatever that area is, whatever that limb is that you're calling us to walk out on, God, help us to go out on it no matter how thin or how weak that limb may be, trusting you just as Mary did. And God, if there's someone in this room that has never fully accepted you as their Lord and Savior, has never allowed you to take up residency in their life, God, let this be the day, let this be the moment before they leave this room. God, as we're about to sing this song, have them come forward. God, I'd love to talk to them about you becoming the Lord of their life and they becoming your servant. We sing this song, God, to your glory and to your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.